prepare to have your health questions answered here on Safe, Effective, Natural Solutions with Dr. Todd Binkley, owner of Binkley Healing Center in downtown Ventura. Now, here's Dr. Todd. Good afternoon. I'm Dr. Todd Binkley, board-certified non-force doctor of chiropractic and practitioner of functional medicine. Most of the time, most of these shows are about, predominantly about functional medicine, about how to use more advanced testing to identify places where your organs and tissues, your heart, your liver, your immune system, your kidneys need a little support, some nutrients, some better food, maybe some exercise to get them functioning at their peak so you can reverse or eliminate your dependency or prevent your dependency on pharmaceuticals for the rest of your life for things like high cholesterol, high blood pressure, heart disease, low thyroid, anemia, etc. But last week, I talked about how I am a non-force chiropractor. I've been a practicing chiropractor since 1989 when I graduated, where I got my doctorate of chiropractic degree at Palmer College of chiropractic, what some people call the Harvard of chiropractic because it attracts students from all over the world and it is where the profession was founded by Daniel David Palmer back in 1895. So I got a number of questions after last week's episode. I talked a lot about uh, some of the understanding how the body works, to understand how non-force methods can work, how you can release tension, correct headaches, neck pain, back pain, sciatica, carpal tunnel syndrome, rotator cuff injuries, plantar fasciitis, all the things that most chiropractors address with traditional adjusting methods with some kind of application of force or with deep tissue massage or with physical therapy, some combination thereof. How do I help people with those things without using any kind of force? How does non-force chiropractic work? What, what does that look like? And it's, it's difficult to describe on the radio. It's much easier to show you in my office. But ultimately, the non-force method I use is called network, the main non-force method is called network spinal analysis. I use a number of other non-force methods I've developed myself, but all of them have one thing in common. They all are means of sending feedback to your brain to help it release patterns of tension that have built up in tissues throughout your body, patterns of tension in your muscles, and also hypersensitive nerves. So, just la- just sitting with uh, sitting a lot in lousy chairs, beds that are too soft, having poor posture creates patterns of tension in your muscles, and these can be felt. They can be palpated. So just by running my hands along, uh, or you know, touching certain muscles, ident- you know, doing a physical exam to identify places where you're holding tension anywhere in the body, but along the spine in particular, there are little nerve endings that come directly from the spinal cord up to the surface, which can also be felt, which allow me to figure out exactly where the worst tension is on your spine right now. And all I have to do is hold a contact to send a signal to your brain to help it figure out what muscles it needs to use to release that tension. And when it does that, because it has to figure out what muscles to use, it learns something from that every time we do it. And so it becomes a more lasting method, more lasting results than if you apply force. So I love using non-force chiropractic and helping people find and identify a way to get a lasting solution for a problem as, as opposed to uh, just a short-term relief from pain. So this is one of my favorite case studies. This is a patient in his 40s who was referred to me by another chiropractor. He'd been getting regular chiropractic adjustments with a local chiropractor in a neighboring town 
And then he had another injury. He had a, got in a car accident. And that chiropractor worked on him for a little bit, but he got to the point where he just wasn't getting any better. And this chiropractor strongly suspected that he had a herniated disc, and he knew that that was something that you're not going to do a regular adjustment on. So he sent him to me. Well, I did a physical exam on him, found some issues, which I'll describe here in a minute, but I told him we definitely need to get an MRI immediately. And he had good insurance, so I just told him to go to his regular MD and have him order the MRI so that the insurance would pay for it. So this was July 2009. The MRI comes back, and he's got a 6 to 7 millimeter herniated disc at L4. This is the fourth vertebra, the second to last vertebra in your lower back. And it's compressing that sac that surrounds the spinal cord that I've described before that protects the delicate spinal cord inside the fluid-filled sac. So there's pressure on that. That's what's causing his low back pain. He also had a smaller disc bulge in the vertebra below at L5, but it was obvious that most of his symptoms were coming from L4. Well, his family doctor that ordered this scan told him he needed to go see a neurosurgeon immediately. And I agreed. But we both knew the neurosurgeon was just going to recommend surgery. And the patient says, you know, I, I don't want to have surgery. Can, is there, can, do you think you can help me? And I said, well, let's see. We'll give it a shot. We'll give it some time. I've explained before how there are so many muscles that can t- contribute to low back pain and make your low back an accident waiting to happen. Well, he was a classic case of this. All of his hip rotator muscles, the small glutes and the piriformis, his psoas muscle and his hamstrings were all super tight. I think his hamstrings were probably the tightest I've ever seen. When he was lying on his back and I tried to lift his foot, it came up about 12 inches off the table. With his leg straight, lifting his foot up, it came up to about an angle of 20 degrees from the table. Well, you want your leg to be able to get up to 90 degrees. And if you can't get it up to 90 degrees with your knee locked straight, then that's tight hamstrings and that is going to contribute to low back pain. So I knew that even if he ended up needing surgery... If we could get the tension out of those hamstrings and all those other tight muscles that were overloading his back, contributing to him, if not causing him getting the injury in the first place, that it was going to give him a much better outcome uh, if he ended up, even if he ended up having to have the surgery. So three months later, he has hardly any pain radiating down his legs. He still has some pain in his back, but it's better. So I said, now go see the neurosurgeon but I don't want to get surgery. You know, you know, you don't have, you know, I don't want that. And I said, well, you don't have to get surgery. Just tell the neurosurgeon that you're still having some low back pain and occasionally some pain radiating down your legs. So he'll order another MRI and then we can see what this disc looks like. Right. Okay. So we had an excellent neurosurgeon in town back then who's since retired, but I sent dozens of patients to him and I knew that he was conservative and I knew that he wouldn't recommend surgery except as a last resort unless it was the only option and i also know that if he needed surgery he was the best because he had excellent outcomes so this neurosurgeon orders another mri this is october of 2009 now and the mri showed a five millimeter herniated disc at l4 so in three months his herniated disc has shrunk by 25 percent from six to seven millimeters to five millimeters with conservative care only not even, no adjustments, no force of any kind, just stretching and giving his brain feedback to help it relax all those muscles so that the disc could actually heal. And of course, this very smart neurosurgeon said, well, if you've got that much improvement in three months with conservative care, just keep doing what you're doing. So fast forward a year, patient's doing great, 
no pain at all. Nothing going down his legs, no back pain. He's back to lifting weights and his back is feeling stronger than ever. And I told him, I said, you know, I wish we could get a, another MRI to see what that disc looks like now. And it's just, you know, I never get to see that. I've helped so many people heal herniated discs. And I know if I could get another scan, we're going to see it shrunk even smaller. But somebody has to pay for that. And of course, you know, I can always send you off for an MRI. Nowadays, they don't cost that much. I can get a lumbar spine MRI for about $275 cash if you don't want to wait on your insurance to pay for it or get permission or go see the specialist to get permission to, you know, just sometimes you have to go through two or three appointments just to get permission to get the scan. Anyway, back then it was more like $1,200 for a lumbar MRI. So he went back to the neurosurgeon and I don't know how he did it. And this is really rare, but he got this neurosurgeon to order another MRI. He probably told me he had a little pain in his back going down his leg once in a while or something just to give him a reason to order the scan. So this is a little over a year later. It's November of 2010. And his MRI says stable, mild, diffuse disc bulge with stable, mild spinal stenosis. Well, what does that mean? Basically, he has no herniated disc anymore. It's stable. There's no signs of inflammation. There's no signs of something that's that's, uh, prone to tear more. And mild stenosis means there's just very little, stenosis means narrowing. So there's very little narrowing in the canal. Basically, there's nothing that's going to be pressing or rubbing on his spinal cord anymore. Well, it also says the neuroforamina are adequately patent bilaterally. Well, what does that mean? The neuroforamina, those are the little holes on either side of the spine where the nerve roots exit. And patent just means they're not blocked. So it's basically saying the, the there's no pressure from a disc bulge on the spinal cord and there's no tissue that's pressing or interfering with or narrowing the openings in the spine where the nerve roots ex- exit on either side, which makes it very easy to understand why he's feeling great. But this is amazing. He's gone from a six to seven, six to seven millimeter disc herniation down to one that's so small they didn't even put a number to it in the summary. And if you read further down in the report, if they don't mention the size, then you know it's less than two or three millimeters if you read enough MRIs because that's the smallest number they ever put uh, that's associated with any symptoms. Typically, a two or three millimeter disc herniation has no symptoms. Anyway, further down in the report, it did say that his bulge was now a, quote, stable bulge of two millimeters. And, you know, so that basically means he's got no herniated disc at all, no nerve irritation, no instability. So this is unheard of to shrink a herniated disc from six to seven millimeters down to two, which is basically nothing without surgery. And this patient went back to lifting weights. He's, he kept doing all the stretches. Most importantly, he kept doing all the stretches that I showed him to keep the pressure off of his back so he wouldn't re-injure the disc, including hanging upside down and twisting. Now that probably sounds kind of scary. So we'll come back to that. I certainly didn't start that when he came in. In fact, what made the biggest difference when he first came in is I I had him lie. This is what I do for somebody that comes in. I've had people walk in or uh, come in on a walker or be carried in by somebody or crawl in even. um, And I do what I'm about to describe and they can stand up and walk out in one visit sometimes. I'm not saying it fixed the problem, but it just reduces enough pressure that you can get a dramatic reduction in the pressure on the nerves. So I lie him on the floor Uh, with his feet on the wall, with his hips bent at 90 degrees, his knees bent at 90 degrees, and his feet pressing against the wall. So he's lying on his back, and then I strap his hips 
with a strap to the wall. And then I have him lying flat on his back. So his back is totally supported. There's nothing that you're going to do that's going to damage the back in any way because it's fully supported and he's lying on his back. And then his hips are attached to the wall. And then I either use a strap around his rib cage or eventually I just grab his forearms and have him grab my forearms and I gently pull. I stress gently pull. This may sound like if you if you were if you're hopefully you can, you can visualize this and I'm actually you know giving you something that's of use to you to understand how I can help. Uh, but you know if you were there watching it, you might and you you don't realize how gently I'm pulling. It might look like some kind of medieval torture or something. But I trust I promise you it's not. It's a very gentle stretch. And the most important thing is I'm stretching for just a little bit and then releasing and letting the muscles relax and then stretching again and relax, letting it relax. And promise you, this, I don't know of any other doctors that do this kind of traction. Most doctors, if you need traction, they put you on some kind of machine where you're strapped to this machine for, for maybe 20 minutes or 45 minutes, sometimes longer. In the old days, they used to use these horrific cables and wires in a, in a hospital bed and you know put, put you in traction and leave you that way for days or weeks. They don't do that anymore. But most doctors, if you need traction, they're going to use some kind of machine to stretch you or they might be helping to stretch a little bit on some kind of table that bends or a machine that you that strap you onto and it kind of shakes and twists and pulls a little bit. The problem with that is the machine can't feel where your limitations are. So when I'm doing this on the floor where you your back totally supported and your back's not moving at all except for the stretch that I'm providing, I can feel the response. I can feel and see the reaction and know exactly how little to stretch and how much to stretch. Where's that safe limit? So by monitoring the body's reaction the entire time, I know exactly how much pressure or how little pressure to use. And, and this removes the compression from a compressed disc. You know, your discs are compressed all day long. When you're standing and sitting, your discs, especially in the low back, are being compressed. And two-thirds of your body weight is carried by that last lumbar disc or the last two lumbar discs. L4 and L5 are the most commonly ones that you herniate because two-thirds of your body weight is being carried by these little pieces of cartilage that are about a quarter of an inch thick. It's a little bit thicker than that, depending on how big you are, and about an inch and a half in diameter. So think of that. Two-thirds of your body weight is being supported by this little piece of cartilage that's about a quarter of an inch thick and about an inch and a half in diameter. But you know, normally, it's a wonder everyone doesn't get a herniated disc, but you know, normally they're incredibly strong. So these discs are kind of like a slice of an onion made out of cartilage with a series of concentric rings, like the slice of an onion with a marble in the center that supports the weight of the vertebra above and acts like a fulcrum or a pivot point so that when you're bending and twisting and turning, it provides that space between one vertebra and the next. But when you tear some of these fibers, some of the concentric rings, some of the layers of the onion, then that marble becomes more like a jelly bean. So it's always like a jelly bean. It's just as hard as a marble when it's fully supported. But if you tear some of those rings, then some of that jelly in the jelly bean, the contents of that is pushed back through the breach, through the, tear, the tears in these fibers, towards the back or towards the side, creating a disc bulge that presses on the spinal cord. And if it goes toward the side, then it can press on the nerve roots or sometimes both. I'm Dr. Todd Binkley talking about safe, effective, natural solutions to almost any health challenge. Today, we're talking about herniated discs. I mostly talk about things like 
rheumatoid arthritis and low thyroid and diabetes and heart disease. But today I am a non-force chiropractor. And so today we're talking about a herniated disc case. So a vertebral disc in your, in your back is kind of like a slice of an onion. When you tear some of those uh, rings of the onion and the material in the center pushes back, creating a bulge that presses on the nerves, that's when you feel the symptoms of a herniated disc. So the best way to make it strong again is to take the pressure off of that disc, to decompress it. And eventually, the way to make it strong again, so after we decompress it with some traction on the floor and get the muscles released to take some of the tension off, then the best way to make it strong again so that it's less likely to tear more in the future and to to fully heal it, but basically to make it strong, is you want to put these fibers of this disc in traction and rotation. So you want to decompress and rotate a little bit because they're circular. So the best way to make those circular fibers strong again is to decompress and rotate them by hanging upside down and twisting. And that may sound pretty scary. And I certainly didn't start with that. I can imagine that that might sound kind of scary if you've got this huge six, seven millimeter disc herniation to hang upside down and twist. So we didn't start with that, obviously. For the first couple of months, all I did was have him on the table and release the tension from the spinal cord, as I've described before, and then doing this traction on the floor. And after a couple of months, then I started doing some other stretches to prepare him to hang upside down for at least another month. It was probably around the third month that we were able to get him to actually hang upside down and twist. Well, he's been doing that ever since on his own at home, and his L4 disc is still doing great. And he's doing great. He's still doing great because he's a great patient. I wish all my patients were as dedicated to doing their stretches as he is. He's smart, and he knows it works. So actually, I've got lots of patients who think stretching is a huge hassle in the beginning. You might be wondering, oh my God, I'm not going to go to him. He's going to make me do stretches. Who has time for that? Well, here's who has time. If you, I don't te- I'm not going to give you a handout with a, a list of 20 stretches and say good luck or say watch this video. I'm going to design maybe two or three stretches that are going to make a huge difference for you immediately. So if you spend a few minutes every day doing these stretches you're going to feel the difference and you're going to want to do them because they work. So it's, but you can't, you can't learn this from a video or looking at a picture in a book. You have to be shown exactly how to do. You're as different as you, you're as different as everyone's different. And there's no, there's no one size fits all stretch. The stretch, the same stretch, the same sort of, you know, like a hamstring stretch looks different for you than it does for the next person. So you need to be shown specific ways to stretch your muscles given where your tension is. The whole point is to release tension in your body and help your brain figure out how to relax those muscles so that they keep getting longer and looser over time and so that they stay that way and so that your pain goes away and so that your pain stays away. And then later, if you do something like lifting something you shouldn't or bending and twisting, pulling weeds in the garden... Um, you know, you have some kind of a setback, it's much easier to fix then because you're keeping your back limber and loose so that your spine and your other joints bend instead of breaking. And you just get a few little micro tears, which will heal easily versus major tears that may end up requiring surgery. So I've helped hundreds of people with herniated discs avoid surgery, but I very rarely get to see the follow-up MRIs to see and confirm how much the disc has shrunk. I've helped hundreds of people avoid surgery for herniated discs in the neck. 
and people who were scheduled for surgery in a rotator cuff injury or for a torn meniscus in the knee or a hip surgery or these barbaric surgeries they do for some doctors do for plantar fasciitis or tension tension in the Achilles tendons. And I've gotten most of them completely out of pain by show them, showing them how to do and sh- by doing the work on the table, showing them how to do some stretches at home. And then they can keep it that way forever so that they can feel good forever as long as they keep getting an occasional tune up with me to deal with the stress of daily life and keep doing their stretches at home. Well, I've also sent many patients to surgeons if they need it. Some people just wait too long or occasionally have severe injuries, injuries that require surgery. But in all of these cases, I help relieve the tension around the damaged area before they get the surgery so that I know that they're going to have the best possible outcome. And then I encourage them to come back after the surgery so that we can get the best possible recovery and actually heal the damaged tissue. I give them some nutrients to heal the damaged tissue and continue to do some stretches and some other methods on the table to relax the tension around the damaged area so it can heal as quick as possible, heal as strong as possible, and then eventually get them on some regular stretches to restore and maintain the flexibility in these short, tight muscles that contributed to, if not directly caused them getting the torn tissue in the first place. Here's something else you can do with non-forced chiropractic that you can't do with a traditional adjustment. Treat low back pain or neck pain or shoulder pain or knee pain or hip pain in any patient who's had a failed surgery, who's had surgery and still has pain a year later, two years later, five years later. It's still about 50-50 with back surgeries that you're going to feel any better two years later than if you hadn't had the surgery at all. And you're not going to do a traditional adjustment on somebody who's had a spinal fusion. You're not going to adjust someone's knee who's just had surgery there and still has pain or someone's shoulder who's had surgery and, you know, you don't, it's it's just obviously still too fragile to do anything forceful on it. But you can always reduce tension in the muscles around that area, which in my experience, tension in the muscles around that area and hypersensitive nerve endings in and around that area are what causes almost all pain in the first place. Tension in the muscles around the damage area, as well as these hypersensitive nerve endings that just get stuck on. Uh, you can address both of these without any force. And all of these methods that I'm describing to do that simply involve, the, th- the one thing they have in common is they're all about giving feedback to your brain. So we're giving feedback to the brain to help it realize that it's safe to relax those muscles and reduce the sensitivity level in those nerve endings. The only reason your brain is maintaining that tension in those muscles in the first place is because it doesn't feel safe. It thinks you're going to re-injure this area immediately. It's on guard. It's trying to protect you from damaging that same tissue again. It's convinced that any minute now you're going to tear it again. So it tightens up the muscles and keeps them tight, maybe forever. It maintains this heightened sense of alert in the nerve endings so that you barely touch it and it hurts like you were sticking a needle in. These are just protective mechanisms. But there are always ways to convince your brain that it's okay to relax those tender muscles and hypersensitive nerves. You know, these hypersensitive nerve endings and tender muscles, and I'm going to use that phrase over and over again, and I know it's difficult to understand. It's much easier to show you when you're in the office what I mean. Um, but another way to think about it is 
hypersensitive nerve endings and overtight muscles that your brain is deliberately keeping on this heightened state of alert, even when you don't have any damaged tissue that needs to be protected anymore. The metaphor I like is they're kind of like scared children, right? If you have a scared child, you can't force it to stop being scared. You can't force it to stop crying, to stop being hypersensitive, to stop being tense and worried. You have to coax, you have to calm them, you have to calm them down. You have to, you know, gently convince them, make, you know, make them understand that they're safe, that they're okay. And it's all right to relax and release that tension. I'm Dr. Todd Binkley. I'd love to be a part of your New Year's resolutions to take care of your health better in the new year. Have a fabulous weekend. Be safe. I look forward to chatting with you right here on KDRFM next week at 4 p.m. Happy New Year. You've been listening to Safe, Effective, Natural Solutions with Dr. Todd Binkley. If you have a health question you want discussed on the show, email your health questions to Dr. Binkley at binkleyhealingcenter.com. Take advantage of this opportunity to ask questions for yourself and for your loved ones because our health matters. Join him next Friday at 4 p.m. for safe, effective, natural solutions right here on 98.3 The Word, KDAR.